Hello and welcome to the Dad and Sons podcast for the second time. Because I said something <laughs> stupid the first time. Uh, <laughs> you could have blamed George. That doesn't happen often, to be fair. Like, as much as we discuss it behind the scenes, there's not a whole lot that gets... It doesn't happen that we get it right on the second time often, is what he means. <laughs> Usually yeah. it's like the sixth or seventh time. Yeah, yeah. I said something bad. I, <laughs> that's what it was. <laughs> so how are you guys doing this week? What did you guys play? Uh, I, I felt like I went back in time this week. Oh my god, yeah, holy shit. Super Metroid. For, for two reasons. One of them that me and George have in common. And the second one because I started playing Final Fantasy XIV again. Yeah, that's weird. When I heard you tweeting about that. You want to play I know, um, right? Spider-Man in the new, the new Final Fantasy XIV. You also got Elder Scrolls Online a couple weeks ago, and I guess I, didn't have an. I it did. Up yet. No, it's funny because I played that for like twenty hours after Matt's suggestion, and I kind of holy it, shit. I enjoyed my time with it, but I just it it never gripped me enough that I felt like it was worth talking about, and mm. I never got to the point where I felt like it was an MMO. So it didn't quite, it didn't quite fulfill my MMO hole, mm. my MMO. I swear, if Final Fantasy XIV does, man. It does already. Do you know what it is for me? Do you know what it is for me? It's seeing other people running around the world. And for whatever reason, like Elder Scrolls, I couldn't fucking find anybody. Maybe that's a UK thing. Whereas, like, even, you know, obviously Final Fantasy XIV is quite popular, but even on the server I'm on, which is a European server here in Japan, so I'm playing at odd times compared to European time zones, it's fucking chock a block. Mm. there's loads of people I bet if I'd like seriously give it a stab I'd actually like it I've played a couple trials of it in the past I really like it and I have dipped in and out of it like for five years but I have never progressed to a point where I've had like a max level character or really got in depth with a job like the first character I had was like a pugilist that became a monk now I'm playing like a thaumaturge that is a black mage now but like I'm kind of sad because although I know there are some ways in which you can skip story content, everybody's telling me not to because that's like the main reason to play this game, even though it's an MMO. Uh And also, but that makes me really sad because I have a Heavensward and Stormblood because I have the PS4 Japanese Complete Collection. But I know, I just know I will never get to Shadowbringers, no matter how much I want to play like the Gunbreaker. You I won't. Just, I just it's gonna take hours. Get there. And my friend, my friend is the one who gets me. The one who tweeted at me when I said yeah. something. He's the one who got me into it. But you have to play through all the story content. There's no skipping. All of it. All the patches. Every expansion. You have to get it first and play through it before you get to Shadowbringers. Yeah, and it's weird, right? Because they have items and stuff where they can skip stuff, right? They have, like, one item that you can buy that will allow you to immediately max one job up to level 60, which is 10 below Stormblood's and but 20 below Shadowbringer's level cap, right? So that's fairly good room to maneuver with. But that doesn't complete all of the story quests. It just levels up a job. So you would have to go back uh, at least to maybe Heaven's Ward to like play through, I guess, because c- the things would open up, but I'm not sure how the path works. But that means that all the quests are open from the beginning of our Realm Reborn right through all the patches to the end. And then the other one is a story skip 
item that skips all the way to either Heaven's Ward or Stormblood, depending on the one you choose. Oh, okay. But it doesn't level up your characters. Once you, you can't do both? No. I mean, you could, but you'd have to pay for both the items. Which is expensive. Which would probably about be $25-ish, I think, right now. But would it would it be fun to play that whole thing? I don't... Well, you could, ah! like, you could pay for a level 60 job if you're sure about the job you want to choose. You can't choose a job that you've already begun leveling, so it has to be from 0 to 60. And then you can choose to either start in Heaven's Ward or... Stormblood, I guess, but it would cost you $25. See, the end of the main story uh, of, like, the first part that you play, oh, I, I think, what, the Realm Reborn story, that's, like, probably the best out of everything that I've played, every MMO that I've played. <laughs> it's, like, really good. But the build-up towards that is so slow. Yeah. And so, so much, like, filler in between that you kind of lose... It interests like yeah. Yeah, I feel that right now. Like even though I'm enjoying playing it again, it feels nice and stuff. Like I'm like a level thirty. I'm about to do my final thaumatage. I don't know how to say that fucking class. <laughs> thaumatage. Like I'm about to play like the last, uh, like a uh, you know mage guild, black mage guild quest to get the job. To like then because I'm level thirty. But I'm still like on main scenario quests that are like original around reborn, like level twenty five ish stuff. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna Google how many quests there are left. And I'm just like, I scroll down, and I'm like, ah, oh, this is the quest I'm on. And then I scroll, and I scroll, and I scroll, mm. and I scroll. Yeah. It's never ending. Yeah, I don't get it. Why they do it that way? I guess they really want you to, to play their story. I guess so many people balk on about it. It must be pretty fucking good, but yeah. I, I, I noticed in, in the couple stabs I gave at it, like, it was the one MMO I've ever played where the story seemed like it could be there. Like, it was, it hooked me. There was a fun cast of characters with a town that had a sense of place to it. You don't usually get that from an MMO. Yeah. The, the areas are beautiful. The animations are beautiful, especially with the mounts. The best. Combat is really fun. Uh, the combat is what my problem is. The one and only WoW killer to have actually succeeded on the market for some reason, right? There's, There's got to be something there. Yeah, no, it, it definitely is. It's one of the top. There's ESO, that one. Guild Wars 2 is there. And WoW has always been there. And while vanilla is about to come back, <laughs> so it's like it's never gone. It'll never be gone. We're gonna be like like mining bit currency in the cyber apocalypse of of cyberpunk twenty forty seven, and and people are gonna be playing like <laughs> WoW reborn classic VR, and it's gonna be VR. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm enjoying I mean, it. I'm just I am sad that I know my own history. That I just probably won't reach it. Yeah. And I, I really <sighs> would like to, because I'd like to be able to play the samurai or the red mage, and I'd also like to be able to definitely play the gunbreaker and break those guns. <sighs> yeah. Thancred looks really cool in the trailer, and I'm like, I want to be like him. 
I'm in Stormblood right now. So what what about Elder Scrolls Online? Did it actually does it actually feel like like do you agree with Matt that it actually feels like an Elder Scrolls game? Yeah, it definitely does. Like it's huh. weird because it doesn't feel like you're playing an MMO at all. It does feel like you're hundred percent playing an Elder Scrolls game, like fully voice acted, the quests have choices. Um it just feels like you're playing Skyrim, but like a version a few years that later. Actually works. <laughs> yeah, how do they do the combat? See, I don't really like the combat that much. Like oh, I don't man. like you're one of those that likes Final Fantasy combat and doesn't like action combat. It's so yeah, weird. I don't Yeah, it's I don't weird because it. yeah, but the thing is it's not really <laughs> action combat, is it? Why would you want global cooldowns and, and useless combos? It's like pseudo action combat. Like you press a mouse click and then maybe your sword will swing and hit somebody depending on how far the distance is, but really it doesn't I, I really don't. feel like you're doing anything other than like an auto attack I, in another MMO. I think I think you need to look up and do some research. <laughs> I think you just put in like ESO PvP or maybe something it's the like class. That. Maybe it's the class yeah. you picked. Because when I was doing WoW back in the day, I really didn't like the combat, and I think it was mostly because I picked a rogue. Wait, what class was I playing? What are the classes again? <laughs> <laughs> Dragonite Templar. Oh, Dragonite. Dragonite okay. was the one I was playing. Oh yeah, you don't even get the 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 Scorpion chain until like level thirty five or something like that. It's the weirdest oh, it's choice. One of those things. It's the weirdest choice. Yeah, you'd be able to like. Freaking come over here, enemies. That's like the coolest thing. You'll never get tired of that. But for some reason, they have it like at 35. It's weird to me. Whatever. Whatever, yeah. There's a lot of weird choices. But the combat is good if you just has to the unlock everything. The blocking parry yeah. thing is like, this doesn't work very well. Parry? Like the, you know, when they try to hit you and you like block time it. So you like... Uh, oh, knock, you're using a sword and shield. Okay, knock them off balance and stuff like that. Oh, that. Oh, okay. Matt, what did what did you play as? I played necromancer. I played. I played a lot of them. I played a little bit of rogue. Maybe that's what you need to to make it feel snappy. A little bit of um, a little bit of warden. Um, I leveled up a templar all the way up, and that was fun. A magic templar. There's magic, and then there's stamina. There's like different ways you can play the class. And then from those skills, you can morph into different skills that are either magicka or, te- or, um, or stamina. It's very complicated. Not, it's not too complicated. <laughs> it's not too complicated. It's not like where, like, the, see, that's the thing. I, I rather that, that type of um, combat and complexity ex, um, as opposed to Final Fantasy fourteen. Well, you literally have to look up a a, a a rotation. Yeah, like a like a, a rotation. rotation. Yeah, yeah. In order to have the most DPS, and it's like the same thing over and over again. It's so boring to me. It's so boring. Uh... I want I want to just be moving around and cutting people. Like the best part about, I guess, um, Final Fantasy fourteen is probably like fighting bosses, and you have to like move around the telegraphs. Reminds me of Wildstar. Rest in peace, baby. But yeah. Uh, yeah, and that's the thing is, like, those games, like, even, like, Guild Wars, feel, felt like a lot more action to me than Elder Scrolls does. I don't know why. I don't. It just, I don't know whether it's, like, Bethesda's engine about things. It just feels, yeah. it feels clunky. It doesn't feel right. 
It's been forever since I played an MMO. Back in the day, the two things that really turned me off were the combat, how you had to wait for cooldown timers all the time because of latency, and then that kind of artificial theme park feel to it, where it felt like all the quest givers were kind of speakers on sticks with cardboard cutouts of characters in front. They would talk about how you were a heroic adventurer saving the land, but they would they do it in a way where it was very clearly being processed for thousands of players to be the heroic adventure. And it seems like nowadays a lot of those problems may have been worked out. And I don't know, I'm eager to try both of them. Yeah. I would like to hear you play Final Fantasy fourteen. That's very interesting. Do you guys think I would like Elder Scrolls or Final Fantasy better? Elder Scrolls. Elder Scrolls, probably. Because <laughs> you like Morrowind. Yep, yep. Because right, I, I could just kind of see if you... If you're like me and you didn't like the wild combat, then you're not going to like Final Fantasy fourteen. For me, combat is extremely important for MMOs. That's why I only played Guild Wars two for a while, and I own like I'll only go to the action MMOs. I can't and I can't do only when I'm playing with friends is when I do this whole global cooldown crap, you know. And it's and, ba- it's more balanced in that way, but I I, I don't care. <laughs> what in balance action combat, please. As, as I'm sure you guys and the audience have also noticed lately, I'm on this big, like, classical antiquity history kick. So, I don't know. Like, I, I think I really feel in the, the Western fantasy setting here. I, I, I can raise my finger and be like, I know where that comes from. <laughs> it's been There's like eight books. months, dude. Man, okay, guys, I don't know how how on brand this necessarily is, but it is for a future video project that's way off. But I started reading reading the Iliad, the uh the, the, the foundational work of, of Western literature. And I don't know, it's really eye-opening. I gotta like give it credit for being that. In what way? Okay, check this out. This time I am doing a audiobook version of it because way back in the day, four thousand years ago, the Greeks would have told this to each other with the spoken word. So you gotta like have oh, this poetry serious, aspect huh? to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, something really important actually Sponsored got revealed by along Audible. the way. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Curi- curiosity stream forward slash curious George Monkey. I actually started an Audible free trial to get the audiobook, and I was watching a Curiosity Stream series on Greek history while I was doing it to give it some context. So anyways, point is, with the audiobook version of it, you realize that every book, when spoken out loud, and it would have been slightly different in in the original Greek, of course, but they last about an hour to an hour and a half each. And the the narrator hops between three different perspectives of the Trojan War with uh, a little bit of an arc that is kind of sort of self-contained in every little book. And it is kind of sort of like the first series Every every day I'll like hop on for an hour and an hour and a half of, of getting my my update of of the Iliad. And it's so easy to imagine people living in, in this brutal, miserable Bronze Age uh, uh, time of, of war and unpredictable deaths, having an excuse to actually get together with one another and go to the market and engage in in this this cultural practice of catching up on this week's episode of the Iliad. <laughs> And that was just like the the coolest freaking thing about it is how 
much both has and hasn't changed the way you uh, read through it. Like, like for example, what hasn't changed is our kind of attention spans when it comes to entertainment. We still sit down for like a relaxing hour, hour and a half out of a hard day to to engage in, in entertainment. But at the same time, the the characters and the narrator they have such different minds than we do. They're they're so much less individualistic, and they think that gods are coming in and out of their heads regularly, and they live their whole lives in, in tight-knit clan communities, so they know everyone around them, and they also know the gods that are going in and out of each other's heads, and it's it's also... I swear, I swear to everyone listening, this is not an advert. <laughs> this is really what George is like. <laughs> but how in the world... If, if anything's going to be in public domain, then like 4,000, 3,000, whatever year old mythology, there's, you can't advertise, it's free everywhere. You could read like four different translations of it on, on Project Gutenberg if you want. But uh, I'm, I'm doing the Latimer trans... Go to trans- projectgutenberg.com forward slash Curious George <laughs> for, your, for your free Iliad. Uh, yeah, I... I it's it's work. I'm I'm doing it for research for a big mystery project months away that I'm super hyped about. But oh my god, it's like it's some of the most fun I've had in in a long ass time researching history and and reading stuff. Like it's it's a truly immersive literary discovery I'm feeling like here. Like like it's almost like getting lost in an alternate world building fantasy, except this time really digging into the lore is actually useful history that that actually kind of sort of helps explain the current situation. Like it couldn't be argued that the Trojan War is where the line between Asia and Europe is drawn. Like like it all begins here. Wherever the hell you are, Liam, is east of where the Greeks were and they just called all that junk Asia. And that's why Asia is so big and probably shouldn't all be called one thing and yeah it's it's hard not to think as you're reading through this thing like elaborate butterfly effects i mean to be fair everything mostly left of them was europe yeah yeah they they called everything south of them africa everything north and west of them was europe and everything east was was asia and and the definitions have stuck since because that's how they drew their maps so uh, thanks, the Greeks, for not really differentiating between all the isolated cultures of everything you guys called Asia, because people still do that. We're, we're still living in their world. Well, there, there, there you go. I, I mean, I, I, I watched the Final Destination series. Is, is, is that the whole a... series? <laughs> yeah, one, two, and three, and I think there's a five. I, I don't know why. But Were you bored? Were you... Uh, What's going on there? Patronized. Yeah. Why did yeah. you do this to yourself, Matt? Did someone put a gun to your head like it was a Final Destination? I wanted to feel like garbage. <laughs> so, you know, I put some sludge in there. But see, you didn't just watch one garbage, uh. you watched three. Yeah. So I mean, you really ran yourself through the sewage here. I mean, I was already in sewage. Like, I, I went through some, like, the Maze Runner series. I, I like some... Young adult garbage. I'm not gonna lie, like the Maze Runner, the Dark Tower, which was actually pretty interesting. But yeah, the, the Twilight series. Watch that again. That was fun. No, I didn't watch that again. I'm <laughs> I did read the books back in the day, though. No, no, Fifty Shades. No, no, no. That movie you, you was didn't... rough and uncomfortable. Very, very uncomfortable. But I did play a game. Um, but I want to hear about your game first 
you guys both played a game, and what was it? <laughs> we played the game of teenage angst. I mean, oh. that could still be what? relevant to the thing I played, I guess. Oh, it's it's. I it's thought not you guys would play to something very specific. Okay, which which it was, was a Netflix it? show, a now Netflix show, traveling traveling back in time. Speaking of traveling back in time for the foundational national epics of literature. <laughs> oh, speaking of also things that you kind of go through in high school, but but the significance of it completely rolls over your head. Yeah, you have no idea why everybody loves it, and you're like, sure, mm-hmm, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll give it a I'll give it a shot, I guess, and you're like what the fuck is going on? When I was a kid, I gave Neon Genesis Evangelion a shot, and I'll, I'll I'll give you like two guesses why I eventually dropped it five, six episodes in back <laughs> Did you drop is... it this time too? Uh, not yet. I actually watched a couple episodes last night before before bed. Hmm. I, so I, I have actually liked it more this time around. Oh, absolutely. And it's weird because I knew about it and I had watched it when I was in university, like college into university. But then I moved to Japan and I was like, why does everybody sing the fucking Evangelion song at karaoke? And ah, on the trains. Because it's a cultural phenomenon. And I used to and see the, the Eva one unit train go past my <laughs> apartment like every day, four times a day. And I was like, that's a big robot right there. Man, Japan really loves robots. But then, you know, with Evangelion coming to Netflix... I kind of was like, well, I have to give this a rewatch and see see what's going on. I'm 10 episodes in again. I'm like, oh, okay. When I was a kid, I eventually dropped it because Shinji seemed too whiny. Because well, it seemed like is. all the other robot animes. He is, is whiny. Exactly. That's the point. Like... Like I was reading a retrospective on Polygon about this, how the how the creator was using the show as an outlet to explore his depression and how that resonated with the entire nation of Japan. Yeah, I mean, and, uh, to be fair to Shinji, he has it pretty fucking rough. But then he also gets to pilot a giant robot. So it, that's that's the conundrum. That's like what it's about. So a year and a half ago, I got anime recommendations from fans. And I watched my halfway through through Gunbuster, and after that, Eva Wait makes a lot more sense. This cause... is the thing we had a lot of comments about whether the hell you'd get through Evangelion. <laughs> we'll see, I guess, because I hear it gets weird, and I really like me some weird. It is. It's, it's just generally weird. Gunbuster got a little weird, like a little depressing, but most of that anime was like an exercise in how. For, for the first few episodes, at least, it has this optimism to it where the kids are like, oh, yeah, I can't wait to pilot this giant robot. But but as the series goes on, they do some things that put it in perspective of how shitty it might actually be to have their short lives defined by, by mechanized violence and how this kind of has a, a dark root in, in wartime Japanese schooling. And Eva, Evangelion just throws you into that shit right off the bat. <laughs> like, like, Shinji does not want to pilot the mech. He, he denies the call to adventure. Yeah. Can we talk about, like, I didn't really realize this at the time, and I'm not sure many people, can we talk about how, just how useless the Evas really are? They're like VR. They still like, have wires on them. <laughs> how ineffective and useless they really are. They 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 suck. They're really bad. Like they, they 
yeah, fine, most of the time they win and shit, but, like, the amount of, like, failures and problems and issues and, like, the fact that they have no good power source and they're attached to a goddamn VR cable and then they're piloted by 14-year-old idiots who literally don't want to be there, mm-hmm. who are going crazy because they're piloting this giant thing. Literally, the stupidest machinery ever is ridiculous. I can't wait to learn more about how they work because I'm really curious what Nerve's plan is for, like, next year when, when they turn 15. Like, what are they going to do then? Yes, well... <laughs> Yeah, I guess we shouldn't spoil anything for people who are new to the series. Matt, Matt, I believe maybe that's you. Yeah, I watched it like a couple episodes years ago. Didn't really finish it. I don't know why. One of the great problems with society, I think, (laughs) is that uh, a lot of people recommend Evangelion as entry-level anime. And I think that's why I didn't get into it when I was a kid either. was because if... If you hop into it without knowing some of the reference materials, it's just going to seem like like another giant robot anime with a little bit more of a... No, of a... I, don't, I don't think so. It plays off completely different to how traditional robot animes have been in Japan, which is, you know, shonen mech. Yeah, unless you actually watch those, you're not going to know what it's playing off of. Like, like it's 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 kind of like Spec Ops in in that way. Like, like if you play Spec Ops without knowing the source material, it's a bland, average shooter. I don't know. I don't think you have to have watched Macross and Gundam to necessarily understand why Evangelion is quite the the. I don't I don't want to use the word masterpiece, but like the the reason it's so culturally significant in in aspects of like Japan and also the world and stuff. Why it's resonated for so many years. I don't think you have to have necessarily watched Gundam or Macross or any of the older mech animes to understand that. It helps. Like, like for me, I don't think it snapped until I saw Gunbuster. It was when I was watching Gunbuster, I was like, oh, wow, Eva has a lot of of stuff to say about these girls and their setup. And and now that I'm watching Eva after that, I... I'm 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 seeing it like like the way the show handles fan service, even though the women characters are kind of walking all over our hero here. Like it's 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 a little bit of a role reversal that still has to play within the same commercial um, demands of the market, which which also speaks to like the tragedy of how Eva got interpreted as a as a vehicle for merchandising and, and sexy figurines and whatnot when it was kind of sort of built to 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 criticize all that. Like, like it's gotta it's, get that money. Shinji's an otaku, right? Like he's he's a depressed person who spends all his time alone. And Gunbuster, he's not an otaku. There's not, there's nothing. He's uh, I, he's not an otaku. It's completely different. He is socially awkward. That is that's different to be an otaku in Japan. Otaku is like a fascination with one thing, whereas Shinji has no fascination with anything. He's is that just, what resonated with the entire nation of Japan so well? Yeah, being an outcast or being an outsider. Like, otaku doesn't just automatically mean that you're an outsider. It just means that you're very specifically into one thing, which people can find weird. Whereas, like, a lot of people in Japan, they have this, you know, they have this saying about KY. KY in Japan. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, uh, this is my contribution to this conversation. I don't even know how to like continue off that, Matt. You 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 just you train you truly train wrecked me. 
I'm going off the like, rails. Okay, so very Remember briefly, old in name? Japan, off the rails. they they have like a slang KY, which means like uh, kuki ominai, which is basically like somebody's inability to read the air. Mm-hmm. So it just means somebody who is unable to fit in society, somebody who can't read the level of which everybody else is on and just fits in that weird void. And that's a lot of anime characters. So that, exactly, right? So that's a trope yeah. in anime, right? The KY yeah. character, right? Which is the weird one. A lot of times, you know, otaku types are very similar to that. But otaku is very much like about being fascinated with something, being obsessed with something. Whether it's video games, it gets, you know, or anime or whatever. It can be anything. It can be sports otakus as well. Uh, that's how they use it in Japan. But yeah, KY is very much like somebody who is deemed to not be able to read the air of normal society and shinji is a bit like that but at the same time he's just 14 year old kid thrust into pretty much the most stressful of situations so i don't really i don't know how anybody would expect him to be any different i I guess you would expect it to be different because you would expect the fantasy to uh stretch that out further which which it doesn't do like like if anything that's that's the shocking hook and the gimmick about it because it's hard to nail what what is appealing about Eve? Like, there's, see, the thing, the reason why, why I think it didn't hook adolescent me or, or like maybe Matt right now is that there's nothing really fantastic about the script on, on the first few episodes. There's nothing really novel about the setup besides the angels being a fairly compelling mystery. Like, like the characters aren't likable. I guess I don't know that. I, I can't uh, say that Shinji me? at least. I, I don't think is a very likable main character. No, he's not. But excuse yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I want to correct myself and leave it there. Katsuragi. The main character is not very likable. Kats- Katsuragi, sorry, Katsuragi Misato. Yeah, no, she's likable. I agree. It's, it's the 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 lead. Katsuragi's the best. Like that, that's she's amazing. But but having a lead who's who's not likable does a lot to turn off of a fifteen year old George Weedman who's a spoiled know, that, white that's kid. That's like that's like most of anime. That's like most of it. Nobody really likes. And the I didn't know that at the time. That's like a Japanese staple. Yeah, like like if anything. Yeah. Are you watching it? Are you watching it in Japanese or or are the new English dub? <laughs> I'm switching back and forth, uh, depending on how far away my eyes are from the screen. Whether I'm watching it on the couch or the PC. And and this Netflix dub, oof, I, it's it's fine. It, it kind of shows how a lot of English language anime is going to sound stiff and neutral for the sake of lip flaps anyway. And I think that's really sad because if you listen to the Japanese dubs of a lot of anime, there's so much more life and energy and speed to how they recite. And then when you watch the English dub, everyone's real monotone like this. Yeah, I haven't tried the English dub, but I've heard like good and bad things about it. I mean, I guess and- when you're touching up a... A classic like Evangelion, which already has like a huge fucking cult fan base. You're not exactly going to get praised for any changes. Yeah, I, I think it just depends on who's talking. People were complaining about the translations as well for the subtitles. And it's like, mm. okay, but the guy who did it was actually from like Anno's studio. So I imagine he had more insight into what Anno was trying to get to, but I'm not really sure on the specifics of that. The thing that trips me out is whenever I flip over to the English dub, the subtitles are still for the the sub version, so they don't match. And and it's a little thing, but I I've seen that before in in other online streaming services for anime and and if I pay too close of attention to it, it drives me fucking nuts. <laughs> so how about you, Matt? You going to watch it? 
Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll give it. I'll give it a try again. You gonna so. Netflix no Shinji? Yeah, yeah. Give it a little tickle. Bring Wait. over a couple of lady friends, sit down and watch some smooth ass <laughs> Evangelion. Yeah, that's that's the way to get them uh, going. Yeah, <laughs> they'll definitely come. Back. I I mean, apparently the the ladies in Japan must have liked it. I guess I I was reading a retrospective about how theaters would sell out. People would have to stand. And yeah, you hear and see it everywhere. Right? Everybody knows the intro. I was in a bar mm-hmm. the other day. Mm-hmm. We were singing karaoke. My Japanese colleague, I was like, should we sing the Evangelion theme song? And he was like, okay. Started singing it. Everybody else in the bar was singing it. I was like, damn. This song really is like known by everybody. I, I heard the, the jingle on one of the train rides to Mount Fuji and back. And it just, it was surreal. Uh, uh, it's not hearing as good as Fly Me to the Moon. You guys don't even have Fly Me to the Moon in this version. Oh right? yeah, they took it out. Not it's in the Japanese just, Netflix. It's, it's sad piano version music. It is a Japanese Fly Me to the Moon. I wonder if I set the audio to Japanese if I'd be able to hear it. No, I think it's that you'd have to have the Japanese uh, Netflix. It's a regional lock. Yeah, it's oh. a licensing thing, I think. So I get to fly me to the moon. For I, <laughs> you know, way. you know what's especially sad it's great. about my life. <laughs> <laughs> Many a thing, George, but do tell. I did not know what I, I first heard that song from Evangelion, and not from Frank Sinatra. <laughs> <Wow. laughs> that is pretty sad. So, so when I was a kid, I thought she was talking about flying to the moon and Jupiter in the context of the sci-fi future in universe. Wow, <laughs> that made things weird. I I imagine it did. <laughs> Fly me to the. It's great. It's good. Evangelion. She is worth a watch. Still, I think. If you've not watched it before, you should try it, but yeah. Man, I can't wait to, to learn the mystery behind the angels. That's something that I still wish I had found out when I was a kid, and I'm actually looking forward to, to getting that far into it as an adult. Good luck with that! Oh yeah, I can't wait for it to get weird. I'm probably going to start eating it up and raving about it the, 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 the moment when it gets weird. At least you'll finally finish a fucking anime. Good, because it's only like... like what 20 episodes long i don't know how long is flco like like six to eight episodes i finished that one when i was a kid less like 12 maybe yeah that was that was good it good ass entry level anime I can't, can't believe you'll get through all of evangelion like 24 episodes two movies and then you wouldn't watch like boku no hero academia <sighs> i think i think i'm i'm good on boku no hero academia wow yeah, but i don't know maybe in the future I'll get, get it back. it's great we didn't, we didn't know that was gonna happen at all how long has it been since we last talked about it? Like eight months, nine months? And no. yet every day, me and Matt ruminate on it. Yeah. Every day I wake up like in, a, in a hot George. sweat. <laughs> Damn it. Damn it, George. George. Did, you didn't watch Baku. That curious but not curious enough, George. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what have you guys played? Nothing? I, I, I don't want to hug the mic. Oh, I did, oh, yeah, I did play something. And it continues on with the theme of going back in time. Oh, God. Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. You guys played nothing good. Play Bloodstained. Hell yeah. Okay, tell me about Bloodstained. Well, we had a conversation about this, didn't we, Matt? Because you, you've been hankering for your new Metroidvania. Yes. And we were having a brief conversation, and it kind of came to the conclusion that you ended up just playing Sympathy of the Night anyway. I beat Bloodstained. <laughs> 
Wait, what? No. Did you I do I placed both? it the other night after I beat both stadiums. Oh. <laughs> Wait, you just Wait, did, you didn't say anything this whole time? I didn't say anything this whole time. You oh I thought you both God. played it, so I was going to chime in. Um, I mean, I'm finished. You can't be played... sure that I would. I was reading the goddamn Iliad, okay? How, how, wait, let me, before we start, how long did it take you to finish it? Oh, man, I don't think it was that long. It doesn't seem very long. Like, I'm about I feel seven like... hours in, and it feels like I've explored, like, a, a lot of shit. Yeah, it. I think, well, there's a lot of hidden areas, but I, I feel like most of the time it's just figuring out where to go. That's most of the game. Yeah, it's way worse than Symphony of the Night in that Holy regard. hell. Oh, no. It's awful. <laughs> like it's at awful. Times. Like, like, really I how, like, I don't know how eager designed this. It is, it, like, backtracking in a game about backtracking, and the backtracking is really bad. Okay. <sighs> like, I gotta, I gotta say, also, I haven't seen how reviews have gone, so... They're pretty I positive. Yeah. Pretty positive. Okay. Like, sitting around the eights. But I, I mean, I was going to talk about this, but Matt, take it away, my friend. <clears throat> yeah, the backtracking. I, I wasn't going to, I thought I wasn't going to like this because I don't like the art style at all. Like, and 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 the thing is like, it's like, okay, why? why oh, I, yeah, I go back and forth whether I do or not. <laughs> like, like, how is she fighting in that? How is she fighting in that? Like, it isn't. Oh, the, the frilly dress. Yeah, it, it it's it's almost like a. Um, it's almost like a joke, like uh, like Bayonetta, for like sure. A Japanese joke. <laughs> yeah, because everyone else is normal, I guess, except for the uh, the who, who what's the what's the other Dominique? She's the like church character. She does look like someone straight out of oh right um, yeah Bayonetta. But like I didn't like the art style. It just looks doesn't look right for me. But the, it is the combat like, is, it is faster now. They didn't. It's not floaty like it used to be. And there's a lot more like variety with it. I will say, like one of my biggest things about Bloodstain on that point is that the amount of variety you have with weapons—not only weapons, but like the magic you can combine with it—the shard system is, I think, really smart. Yeah. It, the thing is, it could get really overpowered really quickly. Because yeah. what happens, there's a lot of things they don't tell you. Like when you max out a shard, it goes um, to your like, it's automatically on you. And you could click it on or off. You know that setting where you have high jump, double jump, and you could click it on or off if you want? Oh, All okay. those shards like the, uh, the can go ones, to the right. The white ones? Yeah. Those shards will become permanent, a permanent passive. And you can turn it on or off if you want. So you can, like, for instance, if you have um, luck and you max out the luck, it will go to your permanent passives and you'll get double the luck because you can have the shard and the luck at the same time. Double or nothing. It's mm. pretty crazy. Like, you can make a really ridiculous character. It's weird because um, I've, I've stuck with the same couple of shards. Like, I use the head flail. That's like a mace on, on a big long rope. And I use the arrow fire, like the three-shot arrow. Oh yeah, true arrow. Yeah, and I max I max that shit out. Like they're like I don't know what level they are for me now. Like six maybe. Mm-hmm. But man, I, I don't need to use anything else. I don't know why I would use anything else. Yeah, the magic is pretty pretty beefy. Uh, if you ever get the eight bit fireball from like the eight bit area, it's like I don't know if you ever been there. It's like above the final boss. Well, not final boss. Well, How far from the double jump 
to the end of the game, is it? Oh, no, no. Yeah, you got ways to go. Um, okay. No, you can go anywhere you want from the beginning, mostly. But if you had the double jump, you could reach to the, the 8-bit fireball. It's just at the top of the castle. And it's where the first boss fight is. You know that whole thing? The thing is, um, I, I, I'll just say this. I really like this game. After you get inside of it, you just kind of zone out on things you don't like. <laughs> you know, like there's a bunch of weapons you can use, a bunch of shards that um, are pretty cool. That you can um, mess with. Um, and once you kind of learn how to abuse it, you can get some really good results. There's a story that leads you to places, and a lot of the the gameplay it feels better. Like because when I play Symphony of the Night, it just feels like every area kind of feels the same, and you're like it, at least in the beginning, and it's like very closed, and you feel claustrophobic when you're playing the game. It feels like you're always gonna get hit by something. And it okay. had, this one it has a little bit more air, <laughs> you know, you feel like you can dodge a few things you can kind of, but yeah, I, I, um, I stuck with, um, I mess with the spear a lot. And oh, okay. And I the use the sword. Uh, spiral sword. Spiral sword was pretty cool. Yeah. yeah doing multiple hits. Yeah. It just wasn't enough damage. And then I did, of course, the uh, katana. Which you can actually, with the weapons, you can actually um, read up text that will do different combos. If you do like, a, it's like fighting game combos, you know, like quarter circle. Yeah, and it's cool. It has like commands and stuff, like you, yeah. like Hadouken commands and stuff to do various different things depending on the weapons you're wearing, which is really neat. And there's like three part combos, especially with the katana. And it'll take up like MP, but it doesn't matter. Um, it's really good because. There's rewards for going everywhere. It's kind of it has that uh, I guess uh, what people consider the the collectathon effect with like um, oh I was gonna say Galaxy. What was what was that game that you like so much that you love from Nintendo? That was a Super Mario game that recently came out. Odyssey, yeah, that one. Um, yeah, that that like, cookie crumb thing. Yeah, it has a little bit of that thing going on. Um, all throughout. Oh, I does it now? But you like that one? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Of course. Oh, I, okay, okay. Yeah, Interesting. Up, 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 up. I gotta say, like, now that I said that, like, I, I really like the game. Like, the ending is just falls flat for me. I mean, the story isn't exactly like award-winningly great. Yeah, but it's like the boss fight. It just wasn't. Cool. Most enough. of the bosses are shit. They, they, like, if I'm honest, like there there are only three problems I have with it. I, it's kind of like a weird game that you do zone out on. It like it, I have found like myself just playing it for long stretches, but not realizing I'm actually playing it. Because mm. you spend most of your time just traversing the castle. Like enemies aren't particularly that hard to beat. You do become quite overpowered and stuff. So you're just sort of going through the same areas over and over again. And one of the problems is the backtracking. It just... It's bad. It's bad. It's not... A... It's bad. And you, there's a power-up that you can get that makes it extremely fast, but it's later on in the game. Yeah. Way later. When you don't I need mean, it. Like when you're about to beat it. Yeah. So it's just... It feels a bit like... You can do backtracking like in Hollow Knight and stuff like that 
you know, it's been proven that in 2019 there are so many Metroidvanias that you can do there. It doesn't have to feel as, like, archaic as Bloodstained does. Like, you've got... Nothing is labeled. The map is just the traditional, like, blue and white with green and red areas for saving and teleporting and stuff. You completely have, like, no sense of place. There's very little, um, you know, like, recognizable... The only thing I remember is, like, the blood fountain. Like, if I walk through there, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm here. Like, I know where that is on the map. Yeah, that that was... That was the, probably the best backtracking one. It's like, oh yeah, like you got a power up that sucks blood. Obviously, the blood fountain. That was like the. the sometimes yeah. you go to Dominique and she will tell you a hint, but She'll it doesn't give you happen all the time. Yeah, like trying to trying to find the hand boss for the the carriage dude in the beginning. Like, oh my god, that took ages. And then I came across one of the hands blocker things that you use it for to move the hand i couldn't fucking find it so i gave up and i was like well i'm just gonna go to the carriage then and i'll just continue on with the story like it's just like this this is frustrating yeah it's it's rough it's it's pretty rough and the um, other is the uh well the one is uh, very simple is that the like the back step that they take from symphony and the night mm. is shit it's useless it's terrible. It's, it's absolutely useless. It, it's useful in Symphony of the Night, and I've only played a couple hours of that, and I, it's already useful from the very beginning. But in it's this really game, it's really bad in Bloodstained. It's very bad. It's slow. It's very bad. Most of the most of the hits, it doesn't dodge out of. So yeah. what's the point of it? Also, you have to be. It's that awkward thing where you have to be holding the controller the opposite way. I'm yeah, pressing yeah. that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm like, like whereas you want to go backwards but you have to be holding forwards or neutral to do it it's really it's really strange it doesn't like click in your head enough for you to ever use it so you're always like baiting an enemy to attack and just walking backwards anyway and the last one is just that bosses are kind of like weak source there's i think normal is it's got to be easy dude normal has to be easy yeah it, Apart it, from the Zangetsu guy, which was a bit of a weird boss fight. Yeah. He was a bit frustrating. Oh, Everyone else George. is just like George. potion endurance. Mm-hmm. You know who Zangetsu is? Hmm? You know who he is? Who his voice who? actor is? Is is it David Hayter? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, when I heard about it and we were just talking about him and we were just talking about him in the chat, I was like, oh my God, it's, oh my God. it's Snake. Like he it is talks like Snake. Like snake. Like David Hayter doesn't even like care. He's just like, yeah, yes. <laughs> he, he could just say Otacon, and it would it would it would be Snake. All of a sudden, there's so like it some is literally parallel. just David Hayter phoning in a Snake voice. Yes, he's ca- he's cashing in. These oh, days. Like you can calculate how many we found out. Like you know, he is sixty five dollars on Cameo. 65 bucks. So you could total up how much he got paid for that Bloodstained gig because he's just doing a solid snake impression for like 10 lines. <laughs> Man, if he does if he does like like eight of those a day, that's that's hundreds of dollars and they're like 10 seconds each. When are we doing it? We've got to get him to write. We've got to get him to do an intro I'll, to the I'll, to the show. 
I'll uh, start a Discord conversation on logistics after this episode because I'll, I'll reimburse you guys. And wait, wait, don't say, I, don't say it on the pod. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. So anyways, I I guess I'll I'll um, finish up Bloodstain by asking if you guys think I should spend my time with that over the next week, or if I should play something that that I don't know might be more up my alley, like Outer Wilds. I'm looking so at Outer Wilds. I, I bet I bet I would like Outer Wilds. I. I like Bloodstain, but it has some major issues. It's better than I expected because I expected it to be garbage. And it, oh no! <laughs> Always a good shout. <laughs> well, yeah, no, that is a good strategy because that just means you'll be pleasantly surprised if it's even okay. Uh, don't don't buy the Switch version. Oh yeah, it has problems, yeah, right? Oh man, like supposedly it's garbage, like true garbage, like runs like shit and is like garbage. I, I, Joy, I don't know if I recommend it um, to you specifically, <laughs> not that. to the audience. The audience, you know, if you, you, you're into Metrovania, you're probably going to get some flavor out of this um, because I did and I, I love it. So <laughs> you, you know what? I am a little eager to play it when it gets cheap just to yeah. see which game I have had more fun with. Salt and Sanctuary, which everyone always shits all over what? with their big poop really? butts versus Bloodstained, which just came out, and you guys had some, some I thought bad people things. Just, I thought people just shitted all over the Salt and Sanctuary artwork. I thought everyone loved the game, just the yeah. artwork was very Marmite. I mean, yeah, it is I, bad. I, I think I'm, I'm oversensitive then, because I really liked that. I really... Any any 2D game, like, I'm good to go. Like, And Salt and Sanctuary was, like, perfect. The perfect time for that to come out. It was co-op. It was Soulsy. <laughs> oh, my God. God, that game was good. <laughs> and it, it had that sense of place to it. Like, I never really felt lost. Nope. You've never been the biggest Castlevania fan, though, have you, George? I have been a big Metroid fan, though. Yeah, it's definitely less Metroid, more Castlevania. And I did quite enjoy Symphony of the Night, so I am eager to hear how, how Matt thinks of that. It's, it's, tell tell if, me I'm wrong. Like, does it get okay. better? Does it get better later on? Symphony well, of the Night? well, one thing, I gave you the pro tip to use that backdash, basically, Which is helpful. sprint button. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, very helpful. Because I remember, I remember your, your, your default walk speed in that game is like a slow, steady yeah. It's like a weird trudge. Like, uh, like, Alucard, like Alucard is moving through treacle. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll say that it definitely felt, when I played through it in, in 2015, I think, it definitely felt dated and antiquated in level design because of that claustrophobic feeling you were yes. talking about. However, the game does some really cool stuff with, with optional content and bosses, and it all still flowed in a way that I felt was good. Like, the, the fighting button magic system, guess what that's from? You, you do Hydukens in Symphony of the Night yeah. 2, but the game's balanced in a way that you never really need to. So it it definitely felt old, but polished, kind of like Metal Gear Solid. Like like there was oh, a good sense of pacing and design to it, yeah. even though it begins and ends with like the most laughable of, of mid nineties. I uh, love the voice dialogue. acting and scripts. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, hey, see the librarian. Hey. I mean, it's written by the same guy who wrote Metal Gear, so you know. Mm. Oh, Metal Gear just keeps coming back to haunt us, or localized by the same guy. Yeah, lo- yeah, yeah. Written by the same guy. Ko- Konami weren't that protective back then when they thought nobody will buy their Japanese games in the West. How wrong they were! I just worry 
that if the level design is not clicking for you at this stage, it might not through the rest. Because as I remember, it kind of, the first half of it is the peak. And you'll just get super angry <laughs> later on. Yeah, like, I remember I unlocking that elevator that goes up and down a tower, and, like, I was having a blast because I was like, oh, that's where Dark Souls comes from! <laughs> and uh, if, you're, if you're not getting the same thrill, then I don't know if it'll last for the rest of the game for you. Yeah. So it might not just, it just might not be up your alley. It's just annoying enemies. And... <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll give it another. Oh my god. I just thought of another thing. Yeah. <laughs> me so much liam i i think might hate me for this one excuse me i was playing in a playstation emulator where i was able to use save states oh uh, that's fine i'm okay with that last time i played symphony of the night was on a playstation vita and i did the same thing so oh, the annoying seriously? enemies is something that can be guys. save scummed oh it was matt who hates me for it <laughs> i hate you guys i'm i am doing that I am not dealing Maybe, with starting. Like, yeah. Literally, when you die, you go all the way to the title screen. You have to mm -hmm. cut through the whole thing again. Heck yeah. Mm -hmm. The mm -hmm. clock thing and the castle and everything. Like, yeah. They, they want you to buy a memory card from Walmart that your parent forgot to get at Christmas. And, and meanwhile, Liam and I are just spamming the quick save button. <laughs> I love it, man. Ever since I played the Mega Man 3DS collection or the one on the Switch and they had like the rewinds and the saves, they sound like, dude, I, I like this, man. I'm going to stick yeah. with this. Save saves are great. I, I've always been a fan. There's, 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 I, I remember when I was growing up, there was a lot of, um, like, like arguing over whether or not it made games too easy, but I think it just makes games more fun being able to experiment in the same area over and over again on your way through. Because you, that's the thing is, you probably just wouldn't go through them again. Like you, you would get to the point like with Matt where the frustration would be too much, and you just would never finish them. It's probably better to just see them out with scum saving them over a period of time. If you're not Super Meat Boy, where you instantly respawn, I get really irritated. If it's a, if it's a, a challenging game, because especially you go like five minutes into like a dungeon, you get some upgrades and then you die from some random book that ended up flying in your path. <laughs> I remember those books. And you have to restart that? No, man. I remember quick saving a lot around the books in the library. Yeah, the damn, the library, like, like t literally 20 books come out and then you have the little brain things and then you have the, the little wavy things on the floor come on man i i just remembered another thing that you're gonna hate and that's that you go back and forth from the library a bit oh great so so yeah no use those quick saves i i think we found your ma'am we found your problem <laughs> yeah is is that is that what we've played that's what we have done i think that's pretty good for us yeah, I played a bit of DMC5, but I have not beaten it yet. And since we don't have a lot of time, uh, I, I I will save it for next week because I would not want to cut myself early before the break. Hello, welcome back. Welcome back. Hello. Um, Hello. Hopefully you enjoyed some curiosity stream ad action. <laughs> uh, Please sign right now up. we're gonna have a I guess I don't know, a little a little serious section. We're gonna put our comedy glasses down. <laughs> and, and then you laugh? What's going on here? You said comedy. 
comedy glasses. Comedy yeah, glasses. like like the Marks glasses with the nose and <laughs> the mustache. That's immediately what I thought. I guess it's better to laugh because I mean this guy was he's a funny dude. I watched. Yeah, I have no guy, authority on this dude, but no, I we, yeah definitely watched him quite a bit, especially a lot of the Smash stuff. Um, watched him stream a few. He's funny. Yeah, the three of us are not exactly. We don't. We we've spoken about this and we knew who he was, but we weren't exactly you know people who watched his streams or his content fairly regularly or anything like that. Um, you know, of course, the clips that get shown around Twitter or on forums mm-hmm. now and again, but. There has been a very tragic and very avoidable death in the video game community this week. Uh, Etika has committed suicide, and I really, like, I... A 29. Oh, it scares me. I only want to dance around it. I don't, I don't want to offend anyone who knew his content better so much as I just, like... This stuff scares me, and I hope, I hope it spawns a greater conversation that will be connecting more of these dots between extremely online lifestyles and creators who deal with the pressures of far too many fans yeah. and how how that really can slowly over the years add up to to a suicidal amount of stress and depression and man i i can't say i've been there but i can say that i've felt maybe maybe a bit of what what goes on through a lot of people's heads these days and it's it's scary and it's rough and more people need to need to know how to fix these problems with them themselves yeah with yeah in regards to Etika, it was obviously incredibly sad that you know for the past two months or so some you know some people will have known that his twitter there's been stuff that happened with him and and like his twitter and stuff like that and you know, everybody in hindsight's like, well, of course, like, it, like this is the conclusion it was building up to and stuff like that. It's like that in Tens itself. Tens of thousands of people were watching it. Well, people were laughing. People were thinking that he wanted attention and stuff. So it was, it was very... So sad. No, this shit's real, guys. Like, uh, yeah. it, th- that's another thing that adds so much fear to it is that tens of thousands of people were watching and no one could really seem to do anything. I mean, his, his yeah. friends, I've, I've seen his friends reach out, say that they knocked on his door, stuff like that. And this is before all this happened. You know, every time he would like tweet something weird or whatever, they'll call him and then they'll and they'll yeah. actually tweet them, tweet them and say, oh, you know, why are you not answering the phone? I remember. Uh, is his name D3? God, they, I'm, mer- the, I'm forgetting the number. The uh, Smash commentator yes. guy? Yeah. Smash yeah. Th- yeah. Destruction. Yeah, that guy. Love yeah. that guy. Good God. commentator. Great yeah. commentator. <laughs> I want him on everyone. But yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he constantly would uh would tweet at him. Like like I don't know, man. It's it sucks. It sucks. And that's it. It sucks. If seriously to I mean it it goes without saying, but like if you are somebody who suffers with mental illness or have, you know, issues or problems there is always somebody to talk to out there you know as george has touched upon in regards to some experiences of his own and stuff like this it's like everybody has times when it gets difficult or it gets tough and stuff like that but there is always somebody to talk to or somebody there who would miss you or like whatever just please get help 
I, I am aware that there are a lot of days where I just don't tweet anything. I, I make a conscious effort to try to build a wall between between my online stresses and my personal life. And I mm-hmm. I, I yeah. wonder if not. I get that a lot. Yeah, I, I don't think most people are just equipped to handle that. Uh, yeah, and it's weird. I, I, I read about this a lot and I, my brother has struggled with depression and stuff like that in the past. And uh, my grandfather committed suicide because of depression about four years ago. Mm. And I consider myself incredibly lucky that this is not something I have ever really had problems with but even myself in regards to what i do and stuff i feel like imposter syndrome like daily like daily but it's not something that i consider like a problem but i can understand why people have issues and these problems and stuff like that and it's just you know please please get help yeah if you are somebody like that and remember that everyone you see behind a computer screen is a real human being on the other side. Yeah. Let's move on to a topic where we can be a little more emotionally lively, uh, unchained. Uh, yeah, yeah. Man, it's weird. It's weird going from that. So, so video games are fun, but business is is around the video games is serious. There's a lot of money at stake. A lot of investors want to get their investment back. A lot of developers want to get paid. A lot of products got to make a lot of money, and Fortnite is one of those. However, it seems like the the long tail of that game's lifespan may finally start to be dwindling down. Um, revenues are down 38 percent compared Whoa. to last year for this month. Uh, Polygon. <laughs> 38? I wonder how many millions that is when it doesn't really matter because they're making millions anyway. It's a lot because the, the very same article itself clarifies that they just got a recently big boost. If uh, you look at the, the line graph for this year, they just put out a new uh, season of content. So they got a big boost on the yearly timeline. But on the on the bi-yearly timeline, compared to last year, they're, they're down about 30, 30 and a half percent and that has uh if you've already got every human being on the planet playing the game there's no more human beings left to join i think it's to be expected yeah nothing lasts forever eventually people finally stopped playing counter-strike 1.6 one of those years at some point back that also correlates with uh the momentum behind apex legends slowing down anthem having its dead on arrival launch fallout 76 having an extremely problematic launch that is struggling to make a desperate comeback for you can find a little bit of positive coverage over fallout 76 these days <laughs> oh speaking of we which, have a battle royale i hate to to uh bring it to this place but but liam i've you guys remember colin right my, yeah. my friend colin he actually liked the, a couple sessions of Fallout 76 he was playing the other day. He wrote a thread on Twitter. Dude, about, dude each to their own, man. There are, yeah. there, are, there are bad games out there that I've enjoyed. Like, each to their own. <laughs> but anyways, anyways, uh, Polygon put out an editorial by Daniel Friedman speculating that it's actually going to be a safer bet on uh, single-player games over the following year versus live games, which brings me to some discussion questions for the podcast. First of all, do we agree? Will single player games be more successful without controversy and scandal over the following years compared to live games or live games still a, a good bet? In, in terms of money? Successful in terms of money? I, I'm, I'm guessing. I'm guessing that's what they mean by that. Or maybe they mean in terms of 
reception and coverage. I, I, success is what you make it. You, you, I mean, reception and coverage will always be better for single player, but live services, I think, would make more money, wouldn't it? Always. Like, the idea. I don't mean any disrespect to the person who wrote this article or whatever or what their background is or anything. I, I skim read, read the article, but... It's just nonsense. Like, it's nothing to do with single player versus live games or anything like that. It's just that trends change all the time. We were literally talking about six months ago at the death of single player. <laughs> like, the uh, Amy Henning's Visceral Games, Star Wars game getting closed down by EA. You know, Lionhead closed because Fable was, like, going nowhere. And uh, Bethesda had to resort to making an online Fallout. And uh, ESO and, like... Just stop. It's trends. It's peaks and troughs. Don't write an article saying it's a better bet in 2020 to make single player games. Like, for whatever Apex Legend is slowing down, Apex Legend has made probably tenfold the money that the two Titanfall games ever made respawn. No, so even if Apex Legends dies tomorrow, it will still have made that studio and EA in their investment of respawn more money and that's not to say live games are better or a better investment because obviously fallout 76 proves that but it's about making a good game and whether it turns out to be a live game or a live service for example mmos are live service games that have been around forever there have been shit mmos there have been great mmos that we talked about today like if you make a good game and it's a game that brings people back all the time you're going to make money that's that's great if it's a single player game like sekiro or, uh, for example, some big ones like last year, God of War, Red Dead Redemption 2. You're still going to make loads of money as well. It's such a weird thing for somebody to be like writing just a weird sensationalist piece because of two games not being good. Fallout 76 and Anthem. It's super weird. Trends happen. Got to get them clicks, man. Got to get them clicks. Got it. I like. I don't know whether it's about that. I just feel like, don't don't do it. Don't you setting yourself up for failure? Because like in six months' time, everyone's gonna be talking about it's, like. It's probably not even him. It's probably like head honcho saying you need to write an article about this, and he's like, oh, oh okay. But I, I, I really I, write I, about. The I industry. respect Polygon what they do. Just such a strange article to write. I mean, how do you identify the trend, though, and say it in a more polite way? I, 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 how else would you report that, that live games are, like, slowing down for the next six months? Well you, just, well, you just talk about the live games, then. It's not about the single player being the better bet. Because ultimately, it probably isn't, actually. If you look at probably even the revenue of something like Fallout 76 and compared it to, like, previous Fallout titles... In regards to revenue and how much it costs to make and stuff like that, I'm not really sure it would be that a disparaging a cost. In reality, there is, like, for as much as we laughed at the E3 with Bethesda starting with Fallout 76 and being like, haha, you know, kind of didn't have the best launch. But they immediately went into, and in my head, nobody is playing Fallout 76, right? Like, it's a waste of their time to continue investing in that thing. But they announced like four new expansions like and updates and all of this stuff that's going into it because it probably still makes quite a bit of money to do that. So like even though it's dead and not doing very well, it's still making enough money for Bethesda to be like, well, we're going to put a whole team of people on this. They're going to be making content for it instead of just killing it. 
Because, you know, keeping servers on and all that kind of stuff is expensive. So if nobody's playing it, it wouldn't be alive. So it's just super weird for people to compare the two or, like, to say just this year, like, after last year's death of the single player, that people are going to be like, yep, single player is the best bet. You should uh, put put all your money in those single player games, man. When Star, Star Wars uh, The Jedi Fall, Fallen Jedi is going to make more money than Apex Legends. One dynamic to this that the, they bring up in the article and that you do see in a lot of comment sections of this is the time investment of the two sides of this fence, that a live game is something that you're expected to keep up with and a single player game is something you can pick up and drop whenever. And I don't know if you guys have picked up Apex Legends lately, but oh boy, I'm definitely feeling that. Well, this is the thing, right? So poll the three of us. How many of us play live games? I'm raising my hand. Matt, I, I te- play... Matt technically does, I guess. He, yeah, Matt, yeah, Matt I has play... dipped in and off Path of Exile and everything, you know? Yeah, Path of Exile and ESL. I'm, I'm Siege I'm, and Apex I'm, Legends. I'm playing like Final Fantasy right now. Oh, I've been playing a play... lot of Gears of War. Sorry. A lot of Gears of War. Oof. But how many single player games have we played this year as well? A ton. A lot Way more. more. <laughs> yeah. A ton. Exactly. So it's like, it's a balance, right? Um, I, I was very fortunate to have kept up with Siege, but Apex Legends is something that I've been playing on and off. And last night, I mean, I was getting creamed because just like Matt said a couple weeks ago, everyone who's on it now is on a skill level way above what used to be the median. And that happened in Siege 2, except I was actually following the curve and didn't notice it. As, as much as someone lower on the ladder would have. And now, I, I don't know, it seems like a more critical inbuilt flaw to live games, that whoever sticks with them is going to make it less accessible for new players as time goes on. I mean, that happens, right? That's just kind of the understanding. It's, a, it's, 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 whole, it's, it's my whole Final Fantasy chat from earlier, right? Like, I am three expansions behind, don't feel I'm ever going to make it, which makes me feel like, am I investing my time? Is it worthwhile? Kind of thing, right? That's what you're getting into if you don't join a game from the beginning. That's understandable. And that's that's why 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 the writer has a, a wall between the two categories and how much time, which translates to money, players can spend on both. No, like it, we've just all admitted to playing like three to two or three live games. Yeah, all the single player games we played, they might be numero uno, but from software only made sixty bucks out of me from Sekiro. They've not made any more money. Also, I don't. I've not spent any money on Apex Legends, and I only mm. bought the 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 fifty sixty dollar version of of Siege back in two thousand sixteen when it first launched, and that's all. And I don't know. It's not people like us that live games make their money off of. We're definitely more stingy yeah. than the whales. Yeah, we are. You know. I'm watching SDGQ this year, like, you know, right now, it's on right now, and I'm, like, reminiscing about all the wonderful single players of my youth, and it's great. However, being a part of the player base gives the whales someone to play against and keeping the game going, and uh, that's that's a case uh, where you're consuming a product that feels free that's really not, which is how advertising works. It's peaks and trust, man. It's trends. It's like one minute, it's the death of single player. Next, it's like live games are down. Put all your money in single player games. God of War was like 10 million. Everybody can replicate that. And then next year, it'll be the the same. It'll be the same. So the other... 
it's it's a little bit of a slow week, guys. The other big story that I scraped up that I think we might get some fun discussion about is NBA 2K19 having 50-second TV show commercials during its loading screen. This game originally came out in September 2018. It has since been updated to include a lot more video commercials during loading screens than before. Um, the one commercial that's that's going around that that's turned this whole story into a meme is for an FX crime drama that uh, that introduces itself with the lines of, of a character saying, never get too greedy. This is a feature that folds into a kind of ESPN style cable TV UI the game has called 2K TV, where it'll flip from these commercials to some presenters introducing the game you're about to play. And and people don't like it. <laughs> There's there's a lot of, of negativity to, directed towards this thing. And it reminds me of how, back in the mid-aughties, we saw in-game advertising begin with things like billboards and racing games trying... And, and the conversation at the time seemed to settle that in-game advertising was fine so long as it didn't break your immersion. It did not offend people as, as much as this. This is crossing some kind of line, apparently. See, for and, me, it just it just makes it more real. It makes it seem like a real American sport. Every American sport is just full of adverts. You can't watch any American sport without being bombarded by adverts. It, it seems like it, the realism is up this year. It would take me out of the experience, and and, and especially if like but the commercials you, kind of dated or you don't watch sports, George. I don't watch sports, but if I was like, <laughs> I really liked the NBA street games when I was a kid, and it's if, weird if, because like with the like NBA games and stuff, I imagine they're like. This half is sponsored by Gatorade. Look at the, let's look at the Gatorade replay. It's not like a direct advert, but it is like the yeah. pseudo realism of having. And that's that's a the difference, I think. In NBA Street, if there's a billboard in the background with the Nike logo, you don't even notice. This, however, is in your face for 50 seconds. You can't so like skip it. Like if you were it. watching real basketball. Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, it's shitty and it's terrible. But I guess if you go for realism, <laughs> this guy, the guy who's writing it doesn't have 2K or anyone that has 2K. He's he's going based off people on on Reddit. Wait, what do you mean? You can see it, that you say, oh, a person on Reddit says you could turn it off. Oh, you're talking about the Rock Paper Shotgun article on the story? Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. reading the wrong story here. No, no, it's fine. Well, the video clip explains things a lot better than than the Wait, article's gonna because then you actually get to watch the commercial <laughs> yeah, yeah i watched the person it. who wrote it is british <laughs> and has no idea oh, about yeah. basketball isn't isn't rock paper shotgun wasn't that founded by some uh, it's, i think it's uk it's, writers yeah it's mostly british so what they don't have 2k <laughs> what's what, what's the what's the name of the author matt cox <laughs> oh, hmm. maybe that cox Cox is a very British sounding surname. It is. It is. I'm, I'm gonna see. I'm gonna see what I can find out. Uh, Why are we digging things up about this author right now? <laughs> because we gotta know if he's British or not. Apparently, <laughs> this is the, the. I mean, I'm British, and I've just told you that my recollection of all American sports is to watch adverts for seventy percent of the time, and then watch sports for thirty percent of the time. God mm. almighty, if you ever go to a basketball game in real life, it's the most frustrating thing because then you have to sit through the commercial breaks in the stands. Yeah, it's, I, I don't like going to any of them. I don't. <laughs> it's, it's weird. They usually have that, that show and you can barely see them and it's hot. And no, 
no. and the beer is like $18 a bottle. Yeah. And they yeah. don't sell water <laughs> for some reason. So so maybe maybe that's the next step up they can do to increase realism here is is like have the video game console come with a beer dispenser but you got to pay $18 while you watch the commercial. And just like real basketball, every like two minutes can be a commercial break. So so you can get your advertising in and, and make the company a little bit more money, even though you already bought the game. No, I, I don't know if I care if the game is actually loading, but I also don't want it because of what <laughs> what what it will eventually end up being, you know, because I used to be able to pick up a game. And I have to worry about ads. I'm playing the game. But now I'm watching ads, you know? We're going to get so many emails next week of people being like, taking Matt's direct quote and being like, I don't want to, I don't want to listen to curiosity stream adverts. I just, I just want to hear my podcast, man. I don't want to, I don't want to fucking sit through these adverts. What do you, what are you talking about? It's a, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. This is the difference between a podcast right something you don't pay for and a game you pay sixty dollars for it and you get ads that you never used to get before that's true yeah that's another dynamic to this like like would it be more palatable if the game was was really cheap or free and then made you watch a loading screen so if apex if apex legends started pumping out like by Jedi Fallen, the brand yeah. new EA game, or whatever it's if, called. If they played game trailers while you were waiting for a new match in Apex Legends, like, a part of my brain is like, ugh, but another part of my brain is like, yeah, no, okay, whatever, I'll deal with it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I got this game for free. It's weird, the concept of free in video games now. Look at what Team Fortress has done to us. In NBA 2K19, let's, let's, let's see what this is still on Amazon. And then, and then I'll move us on. <laughs> PlayStation 4 version is, it's 20 bucks still. So, so I guess it would have been more expensive on launch, but right now it's 20 bucks. <laughs> it is 10 bucks on, so it's not that expensive right now. Although I did recently hear that they slashed the price. Uh, for, well, it's the Steam Summer Sale right now, so that might so, be. So this, this might not be representative of what listeners are going to see when they look up these prices. EA Sports. It's in the game. It's in the advert. <laughs> EA Sports presents Jedi Fallen in your Apex Legends. Oh. Just fall right down into those legends. Oh, it's 2K Sports. My bad. It's Fallen Order, isn't it? I keep saying Jedi Fallen, but it's Fallen Order. Yeah, we, we have listener questions. Not a lot this week, though. Uh, we need more. The, the inbox is getting dry. I'm digging stuff up from weeks ago here. Come on, guys. You need to step that up. Podcast at gmail.com. Also, we want to get a, a game show segment going. Oh, my God. It's been months, hasn't it? So, yeah. Um, send us ideas for participation game shows. Send us questions, comments, and suggestions. But mostly questions. We, 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 we like to have a good long list of questions to fall back on each week. First question for this and week remember, is... And wait, wait. And remember to... Keep an eye out on the Twitter the next week, as it'll be the Twitter show. Every other week, we will be pulling questions from Twitter, and every every single week at all, I guess, we, we hope to have some in the inbox. First question is from Wingry C. says, Dear Dad and Sons, I'm a fan from Malaysia here. Since the announcement of Tales of Arise, I've been playing Tales of Berseria. Halfway through the game, I can see that it's trying to be a JRPG and yet at the same time having a good character action game inspired combat. 
to the point where it feels like the game takes a lot of inspiration from God Hand. But the game did just okay in the JRPG part and the action part, but not amazing. This eventually comes to the question that I want to ask, what kind of games do you feel have a similar identity crisis? And which part should they have focused on to make it amazing? Hmm. Oh my god, So there were so many. Oh yeah, there was a big trend, I want to say, when GTA 3 became popular, where like, for a couple of years, a whole lot of PlayStation 2 games came out that were that were trying to be a jack of all genres and not not great at, at any. I, I think the most egregious example I remember is some like kitty platform hero that got turned into a edgy, angsty teenagery thing. And there was driving and shooting and melee combat and none of them were great. It was named something like Nyx. For me, the most recent example is something like Katana Zero, which you know, tries to be like Hotline Miami, but at the same time have a very sort of serious story, choose your own answers, narrative path. And both for me don't exactly land very well. It, it wasn't sticks, nicks, hicks, dicks. What was that game? Ah! Do you have any games, Matt, that you uh, maybe bloodstained? <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, he create he helped create Castlevania, right? Yeah. Or did he create Castlevania? Well, obviously, no, he didn't there's a team involved when. <laughs> uh, no, he came later. He came in to supervise first of Konami stuff, and then he got given the opportunity to direct Symphony of the Night, which is the first in what is known as the Egovanias, the Metroidvania type Castlevania <gasps> games. Vex! It was called Vex! Google search for Vex and you will find like the poster child of that angsty teen goth oh, phase yeah, that the that. PS2 went through. Where where GTA 3 and Vice City were, were selling gajillions and everyone wanted to to make things edgier and it was real real immature and cringy for a while. <laughs> yeah, no. So Vex was a game that looked like it was originally built for a much younger audience, but got rebooted halfway through development for an angsty teenager audience that incorporates um, gameplay from from several different genres that I only remember. Wait, wasn't Vex like Vex was like part of that like long running four years of nonstop PS2 Jack and Daxter platforming clones? Mm-hmm. It looks and feels like like a Jack and Daxter game, but but the characters real like mean and angry looking with with nasty claws and stuff. There were so many of them. Ty the Tasmanian Tiger, obviously Sly Cooper. Mm, I had a I had Sphinx. a relative give me a copy of Scalar one Christmas. Oh boy, Nitro Nitro Rad. He's he's the guy who knows this kind of shit. He knows all about those cheap ass platformers. I can't believe I'm digging out. Vex is my example. <laughs> that's that's perfect, actually. A lot, of the old, a lot of older games did that back in the PS2 era. Yeah, like that open world 3D. Yeah, we're gonna have a spin on platforming, but we're, and, we're not gonna quite get the platforming right, and we're not gonna quite get our new mechanic right either. And and I feel like that came back a bit for 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 open world games this gen, except. This time, things just tend to feel better. For some reason, like like around the seventh, eighth gen, like animations just started feeling heavy and meaty, and 
Yeah. And and shooting feels okay regardless of what game you're doing it in generally, unless it's Fortnite. <laughs> like speaking of like very quickly, uh, like Bloodstained, a lot of you know indie Metroidvanias over the past couple of years have tried to replicate what it's inspired by, but just doesn't get either the Metroid or the Vanian parts right in any in any way, and they sort of stumble a little bit. Next question is from Daniel H. Daniel H. says, Hi, Dad and Sons. I'm a big reader of fantasy and sci-fi novels. With the success of The Witcher series by CD Projekt Red, oh, <clears throat> CD Projekt Red, Tom Clancy games of the Metro series, why aren't more games made from book source materials? I think there is a lot of untapped potential with converting books to games, especially in the fantasy and sci-fi settings. What are your thoughts? And what books do you think would make a great jump to video games? Hmm. Good question. Is that... Yeah, this has always intrigued me why people don't do it. And I imagine with like TV and film, the old comic, there is a lot of visual elements already there. That makes it a little easier. Whereas you have to, you know, come up with concept art for stuff. And I guess, you know, Lord of the Rings had games prior, but then it got a little easier when they made the movies. I already know why, but Brandon Sanderson's uh, Stormlight Archives. I want to see that as a game. It's been done before, but I would love to see a modern take on the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <gasps> that would be good. Yeah, yeah, get the portal writers on it. Ender's Game, obviously. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, this one is not technically sci-fi. I guess, it, no, yeah, it's more, it's more fantasy. But I'm going to choose it anyway. <laughs> the Warded Man. Uh, the that Warded is a, Man. It's dope. It's so dope, dude. Warded Man. Um, I would love to see that because you would play like this guy that fights demons and he eats them to get struck. Like it's oh my god. So it, the it was, it's so dope. <laughs> I, I read like I wanted, um I read like three books. I'm like three books deep into that. It's good. I would like to speculate on why it doesn't happen more often, though, because when it does, it seems to work out pretty well. Like they give the example of The Witcher, which I think is a brilliant move. It means that the world building and the characters and some very, very basic plot arcs are already done for the game designers. And what the game designers are going to be good at is designing games, not writing and world building and, and character developments. And... uh they also cite Metro. Tom Clancy gets a little uh, wishy-washier. Man, it was weird thinking that Rainbow Six began with the simultaneous launch of of both the game and the book around the same same time of one another, and that that's harder to imagine these days. But I I do wish it happened more often because it seems like it would save developers of of RPG games in particular a lot of time. The Forgotten Realms setting is is utilized for Baldur's Gate and people eat that shit up. They love it. Yeah. Um Yeah. And some some books actually work with the character kind of growing up, so it could be like leveling up. Like the Warden Man works excellently yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> the Lies of Locke Lamora. That's a good a good book, good series about thieves and stuff. That would be that would be cool. However, once again, don't know how on brand this is for the podcast because now that I'm reading the Iliad I really, really, I would love to see a rock opera movie or TV version of it that does it right with a narrator who like 
sings to characters who sing back with like comedic cutaways to the pillars of the earth shaking when they when they strike each other with hammers and there being the the humor and the livelihood and the the rhyming and the music and the meter to it that actually is there in the original script usually usually video versions of the Iliad and the Odyssey are like really dry and dull and boring but the text is is lively it's exciting it's way different there you go my mind has wandered from games. <laughs> and like that, we must wander from this we recording session. To the shores of the Far East with the elves. Um, let's see. It's really interesting hearing Homer describe real places in Greece. And the land of Athens, where the water flows freely and the maidens are the fairest. Fairest. <laughs>